Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, and welcome to the Celluloid Pudding Podcast. I'm your host, Beth, and tonight joining me, my hero, your hero of the hour, <laughs> definitely my hero of the hour, Debonair, man about town, and very experienced podcaster, and very knowledgeable about stagecraft, my friend and yours, Rick Tetralt. Thank you <laughs> so much for being here tonight. Oh, it is my absolute pleasure. I love, love coming out and talking to you. So <laughs> you are you are doing me a favor by letting me enjoy your company. Well, that's that's very nice. Um, to our listeners, first of all, I need to get this out of the way, Rick. Many, 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 many apologies to our listeners. Uh, as the saying goes, life is what happens when you're making other plans <laughs> and some major life happened and we had a lot of plans we wanted to do. Another scared in Appalachia episode that didn't pan out. Um, and we had some other things that we had planned and it just did not work out this month of October. So Rick has been kind enough be to come on and host with me, co-host with me. And we are going to do John Carpenter's The Thing. Dun, 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 dun. And now we can relax and just say whatever the hell we want. <laughs> I, I know, needed but to get that. It's pissed off. I needed to get that. <laughs> <laughs> I needed to get that that take out. So I do want to ask you this, Rick. Mm -hmm. This is not generally up your alley as far as films, your taste in films, or is it? It that's, is. That's what I wanted to ask you. Every now and then, you know, you're you're absolutely right. Horror is not usually my thing, but science fiction horror. That's where the Venn diagram crosses over. Yeah, and so. Movies like The Thing, Alien, An American Werewolf in London. Granted, that's not really science fiction, but then you're getting into you know the werewolf yeah. stuff and the comedy. If it's if it's just simple, you know, straight up, I'm this movie is just here to make you frightened and to mess with your head for the rest of your yeah. life. Then that's not my deal. Yeah. But when The Thing came out, I'm, I've been trying to remember ever since we started. You you asked me to come talk about this when I saw it. I know I saw it when it came out. I'll be damned if I could remember what theater I saw it at. I, I don't remember the experience of watching it. Um, I'm sure it scared the hell out of me at the time. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I was one of the, uh, many, many who kind of caught on to this film when it went to BC, you know, video. And all I can say is that uh, it, it really, it really kind of sucks you in. And mm -hmm. I, and I remember being little, and, um, you know, you grew up in West Palm Beach, so you remember yep. Creature Feature, right? Mm -hmm. And it seemed like the original, which is uh, the Howard Hawks, uh, was it The Thing from Another thing World? Thing from Another World, yeah. Yeah. And it's based on... Um, the the story is called Who Goes There? I don't know who yeah. the author is. Very, very famous science fiction writer and responsible. I, th I think it was written in, what, 19... Or published in 51 or something. But he is... Let me get the guy's name right, because... That would be a Joseph disservice. Campbell. No, it's Joe. Well, Joseph Campbell was a big old Catholic dude, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, John W. Campbell. Oh, the okay. thing about Campbell is, you know, um, I think Asimov credits him with basically being responsible for publishing the first works of, like, say, Asimov, D. Clark, and Heinlein. So the the big names that really shaped the golden age of like modern science fiction yeah 
He yeah, is, I, he I know Campbell's name. He he was he was one of the publishers of weird tales or amazing stories yeah. or you know they were that was that was pretty incestuous back then. They were all making all of these yeah. magazines. So I was amused that he had like five different pen names. Though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this magazine that you were the editor of, you basically were all wrote all the stories yeah. too. <laughs> The first time he was published, he was 18 years old and a student at MIT. And I thought that was pretty interesting. I asked you if you had seen the original. I have, I, I have, but it was so long ago. I don't remember much about it. I screened the original and uh, John Carpenter was a big fan of the original. He didn't think he could do the original justice. Howard Hawks is legendary. There's a film I want to do with one of my favorite actors is uh, Barbara Stanwyck. Um, Balls of fire, ball of fire, balls of and fire is another thing altogether. We generally have to get a shot. And uh... yeah, ball of fire is uh, one of his. Fa- it's a comedy romance that he directed. But there's this really funny scene where Barbara Stanwyck is trying to teach these college professors how to conga or something like that, and and <laughs> it's just very very humorous and amusing. And but he could de- direct anything. I watched the original the other day just to compare it to the 1982 film. Mm-hmm. And, and it surprisingly really holds up. And like you had said, you don't really see the creature that much, do you? No. When you do see James Arness of Gunsmoke <laughs> fame, when you do see him, uh, James Arness was a really big dude. And uh, he's dressed in the costume. It It works. You know, there's this one scene where they think they can detect the creature with a Geiger counter. So they're walking up to this door and the Geiger counter is really going off, really going off. <laughs> and you know, when they open the door, that monster is going to be on the other side of it. And yet you still jump out of your seat when you see it. It's it, it just, I thought that was pretty, pretty brilliant actually that he, yeah. he was able to build that suspense. A lot of the is, older, yeah. A lot of the older uh, horror slash science fiction films, I think we as modern people, uh, especially people our age who may have seen them, but haven't seen them in 20 or 30 years, we kind of underestimate the quality of them. Granted, there are a lot of them that earned that, (laughs) but some of them, you know, some of the classics are classics for a reason. And you watch them and you're like, you know, okay, I watched the thing with the giant carrot was attacking people last week, but this week. (laughs) The day the earth stood still, or the thing from another world, are really good movies. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that the cheesiest thing I ever saw in creature feature was Monster from the Surf. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> Is that the one with like the hot dogs in its mouth? I don't know. It had seaweed and all kinds of trappings yeah. on it, but it was a man in a suit. And um, mm-hmm. I, I only mention that because Carpenter, what he yeah. wanted to do with his film. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just I, I have an issue with what he said about Alien. <laughs> well, in it, it, uh, what you're referring to is there's this fantastic documentary on YouTube, yeah. which is almost as long as the movie. <laughs> it's it's yes. like an hour and a half long. Yeah. Um, and interviewing Carpenter and all of the, all of the people that made the movie and producers and stuff. And Carpenter was saying that he didn't want the monster to be a man in a suit, and I, I dig that. But then he said, you know, even alien when it comes right mm-hmm. down to it is a man in a suit. Oh. And yes, that is factually correct. But much like the creature from the black lagoon, 
the performance by the guy in the suit made the movie work. And so I kind of, I, I consider Alien to be the best example of 20th century science fiction cinema. I agree. And I I, <laughs> I just rankled a little bit at Carpenter kind of just dismissing it because I think you can do a man in a suit well, but you have to be very careful. And if you go back and watch The Creature from the Black Lagoon, which is my all-time favorite of the of the the universal classic universal monsters, uh there were two people in the suit. There was one guy who wore the suit on land and this kid who did all the swimming and the, the on land, you know, they were doing the So the, and I know this is a tangent, hasn't it? <laughs> but you know, on no, land, no, I, I actually enjoy this tangent. Go on. Okay. On land, they did a lot of the, the, the classic schlocky fifties horror movie, you know, full up with the thing with its arms out and stuff. But the underwater stuff was brilliant. And it was brilliant because they found this kid. I forget his name. He just passed away a couple of years ago who could hold his breath for a long time because there was nowhere to put an aqualung inside that costume. And he just made the creature come to life. And so you can do a man in a suit. And and it was the same with Alien. And again, the actor, uh, he he was South African, I think. And extremely tall, wasn't he? Yeah, real tall, real skinny, and both he and Ridley Scott and the editors of Alien made that work because if you if you watch I, I've seen just about every documentary behind the scenes and books and stuff about Alien that there is, and there's a lot of shots that they didn't use because you know it seemed like a good idea, but then when they filmed it, it looked like a dude in a suit, and so they they the three of them created this performance with lighting with motion with with uh the the atmosphere and the editing and so i i understand what carpenter was saying and it obviously worked in his film i just didn't like him dissing alien <laughs> I, I think it's all in the execution um just to balaji badejo yes uh, nigerian visual artist oh nigerian actor. okay and uh he was six feet, 10 inches tall. Mm -hmm. And I think Scott, probably weighed about 95 pounds. <laughs> very, very slender man. Um, He died in 92. Oh, so. that, oh, that, oh, okay. I didn't know we had been without him for that long. But yeah. uh, um, I, I do think it's all a matter of execution. You can't look at Karloff's, the monster in Frankenstein and, and James Wales Frankenstein and go, mm -hmm. well, because I, I, th I think the performance is essential yeah. to that film. Mm -hmm. the, well, the makeup's creepy, but his performance is, is what mattered. Mm -hmm. um, in my, in my uh, lighting and sound design class, uh, the final project every time is my students take a movie and they, we, we get rid of the soundtrack and then they make their own, their own sound, soundtrack. And one of my students, I think about seven or eight years ago, took uh, Nosferatu, the the original silent film, and put her put her uh, her own sound effects in it and stuff. And I was showing my this year's class that clip as just as an example of this is the best anyone's ever done this. Because she just wow recorded all of the sound effects. It was it was brilliant. But when Nosferatu came on the screen, they all started laughing. Because I guess they they'd never seen it. I, I think that that visual is starting to fade away. Oh wow! Uh, 
so they, they thought he looked funny. And I was like, well, you got to remember in 1930, this was scaring the piss out of people. The first time I saw it, it scared the piss out of me. And I think I was in my you know late 20s or something because I'd never it, I'd gone my whole life and not seen just the a still of that film. Mm -hmm. And and again, it's M Max Shrek's performance in that film is genius. You know, yeah, it could, you know, it, it, they made him look like a bat, you know, with the big ears and the and the and the teeth and the claws and stuff. But he sold it. It's very creepy. I think it's one of the creepiest vampires. Um, well, I don't know. I just saw the Let the Right One In last week, which uh, I would recommend. Was that the the, the Swedish version? Swedish, yeah, the Swedish version. Yeah, and I that Brilliant that creeped film. me out. <laughs> really <laughs> creeped me out. Um, creepy children will always creep me out. Yeah. Uh, very good performances there. Did you watch it with subtitled or did you watch the dubbed version? Oh, subtitled. Okay, good. I I, I didn't. Yeah, I I didn't have a. We tried to watch the the. We had it on a DVD. We had the DVD, uh, so we had the option. Uh, we tried to listen to to watch it dubbed, and the the voice performances of the dubbing were so awful. We we're just like, oh no, no, we're no. switching to the subtitles. I mean, sometimes I don't mind dubbing. I don't usually come across something that's that's dubbed, except for maybe um, the spaghetti westerns that yeah, and I, I didn't quite mind those. I or just Godzilla always movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you gotta love that. I I don't have a problem with dubbed films. I just don't. As long as I can stop and pause and make sure I I know what I read. I don't know. Yeah, but well, part of the reason or not dubbed films, but subtitles. Subtitle. Yeah, my my wife doesn't always sometimes we have to stop and back up because she can't she doesn't read as fast as they go sometimes so if, if they're if the dub version of a foreign film is good enough we'll watch it that way to go through this movie i was thinking what would be an easy efficient way to go through this film <laughs> <laughs> and i thought we could just talk about the gross parts because sure. <laughs> because uh to me that that's what's the most significant thing about the movie is that the uh, effects they do uh rob was it rob botine yeah who was really young how old was he it had to be in his early 20s because he was talking about he was 21 i mean he looks younger on the on the, the the documentary he was you know easily 20 years younger than everybody else they were talking to unless he just really moisturized <laughs> we were uh, talking about the documentary which was probably a dvd extra mm -hmm. i think that's that's what it came from but rob boutine a 64 years old born in 59 just to go through his bona fides he was in the uh, documentary he says he's like i was 23 years old and carpenter was letting me do yeah anything i wanted <laughs> well yeah that that was and he said he had just come off the howling yeah yeah which was a really good, well, as I recall, I haven't seen it since it came out, but I recall it being a really good werewolf it, movie. It, it did pretty well, I thought, uh, at the box office. And uh, I think it, you know, they, they made more Howling movies. So now 12 of them or something. <laughs> yeah, something crazy. Collaborated with uh, Paul Verhoeven, David Fincher. Um, I think he also said he worked on The Fog first with Carpenter. Right. It was when he was on the fog, working on the fog with Carpenter that he he got the in to do the thing. He's also done Robocop, Total Recall, Basic Instinct, Seven, Fight Club. And apparently, I want to see where he was nominated for an Academy Award. 
I don't remember which film it was, but he finally received a special mm. award. I'm and he's not he's, at all surprised. He's semi-retired now, I guess. But I mean, he's he's um, if you see this movie, and then it, at least my experience was seeing the movie and going, "Wow, fun film." And then years later, maybe it was up on Sci-Fi or TNT or something, and then seeing it again and, and just being so blown away by the effects. This is so much better than anything I'm seeing with CGI. I I don't know. I don't I'm, disagree. I'm, I, you know, I, yeah, you not know, to get into the, you know, you kids don't the, know how the good debate. we had it. <laughs> <laughs> the debate of the great debate. I, I think, you know, I used to be very much, you know, down with CGI. I, I think now the pendulum is swinging back. You know, for a while, everybody was like, oh, CG, we could do anything and everything and it'll all be CG. And, and actors were like, this sucks. I'm just sitting in a green room talking to a tennis ball. Uh, and now and then there was a there was a, a a backlash and then a lot of people went back to it's all going to be practical all models and all prosthetics and stuff and now i think it's it's kind of finding a happy medium where you're having cg in places where it really works like getting rid of wires or or adding a little bit of blood here or covering up a thing there yeah. uh and like big pieces of the set so the 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 set will have some actual real elements there and then behind it will be a seed you know a green screen that they can then extend the the scenery and make everything look bigger and i think that i think there is a a a good marriage there between the two yeah um the the one thing that i think we're we're seeing now is you're seeing some sort of this blending of practical effects but we might be losing what used to be done with with matte artistry that is true um, that is going away maybe but i mean you're you're still having that artwork done but it's being done via computer it's right the, the artistry hand. is still there it's just a different medium um because I, I i remember when i was because when i re-watched the thing yesterday uh and that's a whole saga that y'all don't <laughs> just trying to no, find no. a functional copy online of the damn movie. I was blown away by the mat work of the, of the, the crashed spaceship and the the pit where yeah. it was found. And then they talk in that documentary, they actually talked to the guy who, who did it. Uh, and yeah, the, the art of the hand painted mat painting is probably, you know, that day is past, but I, you know, I don't want to take anything away from CG artists either because they work just as hard. They just have a different medium to do it with. Uh, the, the name of the artist was Albert Woodlock. If you're an artist and you like the production end of filmmaking, go down that rabbit hole because he's he's made some beautiful, beautiful films. Mm -hmm. And the the look of those films would not be as beautiful or as effective as it, it, had he not had a hand in it. The the other thing that I liked that we learned from the um, the documentary was uh, the model work, too. Mm -hmm. was was really interesting and in that there's a direct tie to sort of the Corman school and uh, Ray Harryhausen some of the the puppetry work that that was done yeah. yeah there was there was a little bit of stop motion at the end i that that bothered me it didn't oh, really did it really fit. yeah it was it was in the at the in the last scene when the thing came up through the floor and the big tentacle was stop motion it like grabbed the dynamite 
the, the, the plunger and pulled it into the floor and then it shot up through the floor and it was very clearly stop motion and it, it just didn't fit with the rest of the film. I was just very puzzled by it. Well, apparently there was more, more than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They said they cut out a lot of it. Well, I was impressed that they actually built that spaceship and, you know, they, they, <laughs> that woman was, you know, going into, you know, she built a really nice, very detailed spaceship for that one little quick flyby as it was crashing. That was insane to me. And listening to her discuss how she constructed that model and that mm-hmm. we're definitely going to link the, the documentary in the episode description. But the fact she's like, well, I wanted to use brass, little little pieces of brass on on the outer hull of the ship to make it look, you know, for the detail to make it look more authentic, to capture the light a little better. All the inset lights that they put Mm-hmm. For that one shot, yeah, <laughs> it's like <a> whizzing by. <laughs> For one shot, and I thought that was fantastic in a way that Carpenter's like, yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> I'm sure you know artists. You've you've known artists in your life. I, I just kind of got that vibe from her that maybe it wasn't that's what Carpenter wanted, but that's what she did anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And then there was another model too. There was another gentleman in the interview mm-hmm. that I think, and he was making some other model. Was it the um, was it the camp? No, the camp was all was all practical. That was they yeah. they built that. I, I, the only other thing, maybe the I did, remember or did he say name. he did the dogs? Well, yes, um, and I guess we could get to that. We're all over the place. Well, <laughs> yeah. We're all over the place. So let's just talk about the the lead actor. They said this was after. Uh, Escape from New York. Escape from New York. So he's sort of launched into action. Y'all should do that film sometime. We did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We did do Escape from New York, but Mm -hmm. um, this sort of, he's already launched his action career. Yeah. And And, they were saying they they weren't looking for, they they like auditioned a whole bunch of people and Russell wasn't interested. And they they finally talked him into it. And uh, Carpenter... I think was bouncing ideas off of him, like who who should McCready be and mm-hmm. other actors and uh, who to cast. And then finally, uh, uh, Russell agreed to do it. I'm trying to figure out why he didn't want to do it initially. Well, I think he said that he just sort of scanned the script. He, he just sort of looked over the script and it didn't sound like something he wanted to do because right. he, he, the, apparently at the beginning, the McCready character, there, there was no lead. It was all an ensemble piece. He said, yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe there was a rewrite or he looked at it a little more closely uh, and saw that maybe there was more meat to the character than he he originally thought. And that's yeah. when he said that he'd like to do it. It's Kurt Russell and he's pretty popular by the time this movie comes out because of Escape from New York. But a third of the way through, it's not really until they come back from Norga, <laughs> <laughs> from the Norga camp that McCready's you see him sort of more you know pushing forward as as the leader yeah um of ne- of out of necessity Your actor Wilford Brimley and mm-hmm. I, I was kind of sad that Sam couldn't do this episode with me because <laughs> so I'm sure she would have had some choice jokes to make about Wilford Brimley and <laughs> diabetes <laughs> diabetes <laughs> and and your oatmeal um <laughs> what, is, what was it? it's it's good, or what? <laughs> I, I, I don't even remember. <laughs> um, great character actor, great character actor. He was in a, a lot of 
television series and mm -hmm. movies and there's this homespun no nonsense <laughs> he's your elderly neighbor <laughs> uh, but he's also gonna tell the kids to get off off your lawn mm -hmm. um but he'll bring over like spare avocados or something from his backyard or whatever just wasn't he in cocoon he was in cocoon yeah he was in cocoon but there's something about Wilford Brimley. He's in in the um, oatmeal commercials, or he was yeah. in the Quaker Oats. He was the Quaker Oats spoke. I don't know why. <laughs> why would they pick him? But it well, fits. he's he's folksy, so he's you know he's out there. Sit, sit out and have a bowl of oatmeal. Like it's but as dry and dead as I. <laughs> <laughs> he, he's not folksy in this film at all. I no. thought it was. Yeah, he's kind of whiny in this film. He's kind of. Scary and crotchety too. Mm -hmm. He's whiny, but he's scary and crotchety, disturbed, concerned. So uh, T.K. Carter plays Knowles, and my favorite scene in that film with with T.K. Carter is the roller skates. Yeah. <laughs> Another actor. Right. <laughs> and I, when he reaches over, I'm like, is he turning it down or is he turning it up? I can never figure out. He just, he just didn't do anything. He just. He just, just went, like, eh, nah, fuck it. Yeah, <laughs> screw it. Uh, Keith David is an actor I like very much. Who plays and, Childs. God. Yes, yes. Remember being surprised <laughs> both times, you know, the first time I watched it and this time. I mean, I knew that it was what the ending of the film was. It just, for some reason, I thought he would be, he would not survive to the end of the movie. I mean, they're probably about halfway through the film. I'm like, I, I don't want that guy to die. I hope he doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just not going to work out. Well, yeah, it's none just of not going to work. Out. And and that is something. And I think that's one of the reasons this movie is is such a classic. Uh, not only because the the effects are awesome and it's a, it's a, a really good cast. Carpenter took a big risk with that ending ending resonates and it's it's brilliant and i i love it i love oh i agree I, it couldn't you know i think they said they 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 did a they did shoot uh as as like insurance a, a different ending where some of them survive uh but they never showed it to to audiences and i'm glad because that would have been such a cop-out read something about this film like a critique about this film uh, that it re referred to Reagan and Reagan's Paul, you know, making some sort of political. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, no, why do we have to complicate this? It's, it's, you know, it's I dealing mean, with for, some of, I'm all for shitting on Reagan. <laughs> no, it's, it's dealing with like some really, you know, some core issues about humanity. Yeah. And, you know, shit goes wrong and, and there's the potential for mistrust and suspicion. And, and I just love it. I love this film. I think it's just a brilliant film. And I think Carpenter, I don't know. I don't think he gets a lot of credit sometimes for being deep. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, what I mean? When I think of Carpenter, the first word that comes to mind is schlock. And I don't know why. Oh. Uh, now, later in his career, I don't know if you've ever had the misfortune of watching his vampires movie. No, I did not. Oh, uh, you don't want to. Oh, it was terrible. It was awful. Mm. Um, you almost get the impression sometimes, or I, I do, that that Carpenter never said no to a script. Oh, he's not. No discernment. Oh, yeah. 
that's some he- heavy uh, criticism to level at John Carpenter. Yeah. You can't argue that the thing is not a classic. And I also, I I think Escape from New York was brilliant. It, you know, it's got a, a very devout following, that movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of them. Um, you know, the, it, that like Escape from New York and, and the, these kind of all clumped together in my weird little mental classification section. But like Escape from New York, The Thing, uh, RoboCop, the original RoboCop yeah. are all films that on the surface shouldn't work. But the way they were done subverted the expectation of garbage or of crap or of camp and made them into really amazing movies. And I was I was kind of vindicated on that. RoboCop remake came out, and all it was was the action. Oh, yeah. And what what made the original work so well was all the social commentary in between the scenes of RoboCop yes. shooting bad guys. Yes, definitely. RoboCop, the original, is is I mean, you're in tears. Yeah. At some different points of that movie. Because it deals with issues of uh, sort of the erasure of your humanity and mm-hmm. uh, lots of other social, uh, fe- well, some phobias about what the potential, you know, because what year was it? 85, 86? Something Robocop like that, came yeah. out. Which addresses some of the fears of the future. Mm-hmm. And it's a good, it's just a really good movie. It's a very well done movie. Get it did not in any way get it. <laughs> <laughs> and that blows my mind. You know, I watched the 2011 remake redoing carpenters film. yeah i yeah I, I couldn't bring myself to and i couldn't i couldn't uh i tried but there was something very uh self-conscious and very plotting and deliberate about the film and it just for some reason i, I just couldn't hold my interest and stick with it i'll probably eventually watch it sometime but carpenters film flows so nicely yeah the action the editing and uh, even in the the DVD extra, the com- the uh, director, the documentary, uh, was it the editor, the film editor? I think I think he said something like, "There's nothing missing with John Carpenter. Like everything I need to help edit this film. I'm not mm-hmm. sitting there wishing I had a different angle or d- did I have enough? That Carpenter is just really skilled at getting the right transitions, the right shots when he needs them." I just like the way the story comes together and your the suspense is building, but the film I think is so fluid. About, uh, it's filled with fluids. <laughs> yeah, lots of fluids. <laughs> <laughs> uh go through some of the other actors. Uh so Keith David, um, I love him. One of my favorite films that he's been in is uh Quick and the Dead. Charles Hallahan plays Norris. Peter Maloney plays Bennings. Richard Major plays Clark. We can talk about him in a second. Uh, Joel Paulus plays Fuchs. Don Moffat plays Gary, who is the station commander. Now, now where have I seen him before? Rick? I know he, I, I meant to look him up. I know, he, I'm pretty sure he was in an episode of Doctor Who, the original Tom Baker, not the original, but okay. during the Tom Baker years. He's been in a lot of B movies. He, he's he's one of the bat guys that guy from that movie. You know, he, he he always looks like he's the commander of something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he always looks like he just woke up angry. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thomas Waits plays Windows. Poor Windows. Poor Windows. <laughs> and I was, one of the things that I love about this film is the music. Uh, Great. Not, 
prevalent, but it creeps in at just the right time, and I really enjoy it. And what I and noticed I about it, and then maybe see if you if you agree with me on this, it's reminiscent of fifties horror movie music without being a pastiche of it. That's probably the most pretentious sentence I've ever said on a podcast. Well, no. Uh, the other thing too is Carpenter usually does, you know, the soundtrack or has yeah. done the soundtracks for a lot of his movies. And the thing that I'm like, well, because I never looked it up. I'm like, who who did the music? And Morchoni. So Morchoni was able to do Morchoni, but I'm going to do a little, oh little susan of what carpenter <laughs> would want here and i loved it i'm like oh my god that just blew my mind so well i think i heard a lot of synthesizer in yes. the soundtrack but it was it was not like oh god here's an 80s synthesizer soundtrack mm-hmm. it was susan just a little bit of a spice just, there just a touch <laughs> of what what carpenter would do and, and mm-hmm. the fact that more joni did that just oh my god and uh ennio morichoni is is the great the great, I think the greatest uh, film loop, uh, score composer ever. I guess I'm familiar with the name, but then <laughs> if, if he never scored a space movie, I probably have. Um, good, bad, and the ugly. Oh. Pretty much all of, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, The Mission, uh, which is a fantastic score. Um, Yeah. Uh, he's right up there with uh, John Williams and mm-hmm. Jerry Goldsmith and the greats. I, the great greats. So the only other thing I wanted to mention production wise, Dean Cundy was his cinematographer and yeah. Brilliant. he has collaborated with uh, John Carpenter, Steven Spielberg, Rob, Rob Zemeckis, mm-hmm. uh, horror genre, family and comedy films. Um, he's was the cinematographer for, for, for Halloween, the fog escape from New York. So he collaborated with Carpenter yeah. a lot. Seems Carpenter has a, a a group he likes to work with. Yeah, well, uh, a lot of those yeah. guys do, don't they? Mm-hmm. Have their posse. Yeah, it's like like Cameron <laughs> and uh, um, uh, Ridley Scott. Also, they they tend to they tend to like to use the same people when they can. And uh, Spielberg too. Uh, yeah, usually uses the yeah. So uh, I loved about the cinematography is how often he would just like pan across the set and like look down the stairwell and look at this door and, and just it really didn't do anything it wasn't like who were highlighting the store because the monsters behind it or anything it just yeah. it just really was to me what it seemed to be was highlighting the isolation and how empty the place was i i that that kind of goes to i just feel like I don't want to say it's his best film. I don't want to say Carpent- it's Carpenter's best film, but it's my favorite of his, I think. I probably always loved Halloween. That's probably my all-time favorite Halloween film mm-hmm. to celebrate yeah, so Halloween. I've, I've Halloween. never seen it because that that's that's totally in the I don't need to see some psycho slashing people up movie. Well, you don't really see him slashing things <laughs> up. And and the thing I love about the original Halloween is is there is a lot of buildup and weirdness and quirkiness and you know just sort of breadcrumbs like mm-hmm. oh this is happening this is happening little weird uh i don't want to say sight gags but he escapes and probably steals a vehicle and then we see our our protagonists and then the vehicle just kind of drives by in the background and little thing little touches like that 
that really kind of build the creep factor. Mm. And I really, I really do love it. I love the steady cam work in, um, in the film. And this film is feels epic. I think the themes are really epic. <laughs> and I think the acting's superb. And I just, I just love this film. I think for me, it's his best film. And maybe other people would disagree, but this for me is, is it. I, I don't disagree. Um, you know, my my experience with his later stuff is not terribly deep, uh, but for you know, I, I I mean it's certainly better than than vampires, but so was my last colonoscopy. <laughs> but it did go to Mars, you know. But and I love that, but it it to me it just doesn't compare. It doesn't yeah, compare to Ghost Mars was. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't anything to write home. This uh, is a memorable. I, I yeah. mean, everybody I, I know knows this film. I've never heard anyone say a bad thing about it. It's always been, oh yeah, the thing that scared the hell out of me. Right. I, I've never heard anyone go eh <laughs> about it. I think the the requirement too for Halloween for a lot of people when they when they're in the mood, right? It's October. Want to watch some scary movies. Mm-hmm. And this this fills the bill. Yeah, oh yeah. It, if you've never seen this film before, watch it. If you're if you're 14 year old, and I think 14 year old can probably watch <laughs> compared to some of the stuff that's just you know yeah. on TV, and wants to be scared and has never seen this movie, sit down with them and pop some popcorn and enjoy a really or enjoy the original, which is the Howard Hawks version, because there were scares in there that got me. You know, mm-hmm. and this film was made in the with the fifties, and it it got me. We'll, I think, move on to talking about the film. I like how it starts from, uh, the first sort of graphic horror thing, which yeah. is the stitching up, and 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 some people watch that. Uh, I think Donna, like I had it on the other day, and in the scene where he is getting his leg sewn up. There's no blood. No. It's just the needle going through the skin, pulling the skin, and she's just ooh, gross. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the 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 scene that grosses me out the most is towards the end of the film, and it had nothing to do with the alien or any of that stuff. It was the blood oh. tests. Oh yeah. <laughs> Get into the setting of the film. Uh, it's supposed to be set in Antarctica, and this is a research group, an American research group, researching something in in, in Antarctica. And there's a that famous scene of the low low helicopter coming through, and a dog, <laughs> and, and they're shooting at the dog, and they're shooting at the dog, and I, I like that they run out and like what's going on, Norga, and they don't know what Norga is, Norwegian, you know they figured that out. Eventually, they they don't know what's going on other than the the, the helicopter has landed. They're shooting at this dog. They don't know why they're shooting at this dog. The dog jumps up on, is it Bennings? Isn't it? I, I he jumps up on one of them, and yeah. they they fire they fire the gun. Uh, they they wind up not killing the not hitting the dog, but actually it's a through and through shot for Bennings. Mm-hmm. He he keeps marching. He's like screaming in Norwegian <laughs> at this dog until finally Gary, the commander, uh, and takes him out. And everyone's like, what the hell? And also the helicopter blows up. So that is the beginning of the film. And we have this dog. We have uh, Richard Majeur, 
who plays Clark. And I like what he said in the documentary. It's like this Clark guy <laughs> could be pretty interesting. Seen him in tons of stuff. Yeah. He's, he's a very famous uh, character actor. He's, he's done a ton of, ton of television. And now that you mentioned Rhoda, it was either that or the, or the Mary Tyler Moore show. He, he was probably on a lot of those 70 sitcoms. He was the boyfriend, the younger boyfriend in one day at a time. That's what, that's what I remember. Oh, and he was, and he played, oh, he was in Rhoda. So he, okay. he did a lot of sitcom work mm-hmm. like in the, in the seventies, seventies and eighties, did a ton yeah. of sitcom work, but that was, um, I think this film and and then also playing the younger boyfriend of the divorcee, like his, his big role and, and also the, the role in Rhoda. He's told, take care of the dog. And they don't know what's going on with these Norwegian people, <laughs> these Norwegian researchers. They bring the, the body in and uh, the doc coppers looking him over and they want to find out what's what's going on. And uh, and I, I like that the doc says, you know, who knows what happened? Were they stir crazy? They've only been here for 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 a few months. Now, I would imagine being in Antarctica that would kind of stir things up or, or yeah. not stir things up that would make you kind of nuts resolve to send mac up with the doctor to find out what's what's going on at this camp i think this is the first time when it was like it's it's crazy you can't go out there and mccready's like yeah i'm going <laughs> you coming <laughs> yeah you coming to the camp and it's a mess they see some really horrible things and this is where the you know first it starts off with the the sewing up of of Benning's leg, I think. And then we get to the, the Norwegian camp and it's completely torn up. It's freezing. You know, it's frozen inside, inside mm-hmm. the structure. And you see this one gentleman who looks like he has cut his own throat. Well, it, it <laughs> this is where I, there are a couple of moments in the film where I think Carpenter went more for the gag without really worrying too much about reality because the dude had apparently slit both of his wrists and then cut his own throat. Yeah. That was pretty <laughs> like how he managed that. I don't know. The other thing I was wondering about is are the, was that visual implying that it was so cold that the blood froze Yeah, before it hit the ground mm-hmm. or knowing what we find out. Oh, I later, didn't even think of it that way. That he's cutting his his wrists and then he realizes, oh, no. And that's when he cuts his throat. Oh, I didn't think of that. No, I was just wondering if that's what it was. But they find some, we'll say, some interesting artifacts. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody can read Norwegian, but the doctor's going to grab up all the research papers and notes anyway. They find a, like a recorder, a video recorder camera and some videotapes. And uh, Mac finds a big block of ice with something that was extracted from it. Yeah, it, it had had something in it. <laughs> yeah, it had had something in it. And they're just about to leave when they go outside and they see this weird a uh, figure of something in the snow. Now, now this is the, now I know that horror films have to have people do stupid things to further the <laughs> plot. I, you know, they, they look at that 
and they say, oh, we should take that with us. <laughs> when, when Matt goes, go, I, you know, let's find a shovel. I'm thinking he's going to do the sensible thing and bury this. That's what I thought. Right? <laughs> no, he wanted to dig it up and drag it with them. Meanwhile, and, back at the camp, uh, I do like the scene where you, you know, I mentioned Nalls on his roller skates. Mm -hmm. the, the dog is sort of, Clark has not put the dog up. The dog is sort of just moving from one room to another. He's in the game room. Nalls has that, that Bennings is like trying to get to sleep. And he's like, turn that music down. And Nalls is like, nah, not going to. <laughs> and really smooth on his roller skates. But yeah. the song playing is really cool. <laughs> Very superstitious. That's right. That's Wonder. right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the dog's just sort of creeping around. Well, I was really impressed, especially after hearing that the dog was not a particularly experienced on-film dog. It was a no. part wolf, part dog. Yeah, now, I've I had a friend who had a a, a quarter wolf, uh, three quarter husky, and sweetest dog ever, but was afraid of his own shadow. And the fact that they got such a great performance out of him. Okay, you are moving. <laughs> Looked like no, no, I'm, I'm nodding. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, also, I thought I didn't notice whether the fan behind you was turning, and all of a sudden I looked up and it's not. And I'm like, Wait, did what you are just you freeze? <laughs> are you saying something's moving behind me? And I'm no, not aware. no, <laughs> quite the opposite. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna keep that in the recording. Okay. Um, but I was impressed, really impressed with pro probably the editing, because they really made the dog look like. It was checking out the place and that it was not just being a dog. It was not sniffing around. It was looking around. It was investigating the 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 base. It's a testament to the Kunde and, and the Carpenter. They got the footage that they wanted from that dog. Mm -hmm. I also, uh, in that documentary, it says that they kept action. They were trying to get the guys like sort of stuck together. You know, based on the, the conditions and when they were on, when they were on set, to sort of force a certain rapport to come out of, out of the group. Dog, they made sure the wolf, dog. They made mm -hmm. sure that uh, who I think I think the name is Jed, half wolf, yeah. half dog. Yeah, make sure that there was some sort of rapport there too. M Richard Mazur said that the the animal handler was trying to let measure know that working with this half dog, half wolf is not the same as working with a dog. Yeah. That there are certain postures and certain looks that they will give you where you need to sort of back up mm -hmm. <laughs> because they can, you don't know what they're going to do. It could be aggressive, you know, might snap at you, but when he, when he gets this look on his face, back, step, step back. <laughs> back up. And I appreciate that. They decided to use, you know, half dog, half wolf, because the the way that animal moved was a little different and a yeah. little spooky compared to uh, the way like a, a German shepherd would move. There's just something feral and mm -hmm. spooky about him. And it worked really oh, well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a gorgeous and so, dog, too. Oh, gorgeous. Beautiful, beautiful eyes. I mean, the eyes, eyes that you are just uh, hypnotizing i love that that shot 
that because th- that shot to me is that sort of the transition to this next phase of the movie is the silhouette mm-hmm. and the dog's kind of creeping through and very superstitious is playing and the doors open to somebody's room and all you see is the silhouette just sort of turning yeah and as we're the not dog. sure who it is yeah we the, don't the know only who thing it is. was we know it wasn't any of the guys that had the poofy hair because it was the hair of the silhouette was <laughs> you know flat hair <laughs> yeah that was actually uh one of the stuntmen did it oh they were going to use somebody else but they they figured out the profile of that particular actor was too too easily uh distinguished mm-hmm. so they just put somebody else in there that had more of a you know generic silhouette hmm. so yeah they did that on purpose okay so they they come back, Mac McCready, helicopter uh, Kurt Russell McCready comes back with the doctor, Copper. And why would you do this? Why would you bring <laughs> <laughs> and and folks, if you if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a long time, this is the body that's like two or three people long. All the fingers are way too long. It's got two faces that are melted together. Yeah, kind of splitting apart. And they go, oh, let's bring that home. <laughs> Makes no sense to me. Like, why would you do that? And essentially, between Blair and Copper, they're doing two autopsies at the same time. They're doing one on this weird burned thing. But then they, they're also trying to conduct a autopsy on the... They keep calling... McCready keeps saying Swedish and yeah. Norwegian Mac. They're Norwegian. <laughs> and I love the the line from Nalls where he's like, maybe we're at war away. <laughs> like, why are they firing at us? Just getting sort of uh the, the one thing that we get from the autopsy is that Blair says, you know, these are normal human organs. Yep. Normal liver, normal intestines. I don't know. But this thing doesn't look like human, you know. I love the uh, faces that Brimley was pulling every time he was cutting into the, the story sort of transitions to their people are just kind of going about their their routine. The men are going about their routine. I don't think they're burning their remains. They they're no. thinking this is this is quite a find. We need to kind of probe more and find out wh- what this is. Yeah, in fact, I think Nall is it Nalls who's like, we we should get rid of that thing and burn it. And and whoever he was talking to was like, this is going to win somebody a Nobel prize. We're not going to burn. Yeah. It up. <laughs> I think they're rolling a joint or something and watching. Let's make a deal. Oh, was it that scene? Okay. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's what's so, going on. Yeah. It was windows and, and, and Niles then. And, and they're, then they, they switch to the game room and the dog is still in there and he scoots underneath. I think Ben, they're trying to play cards and he scoots underneath Benning's feet and he's like, damn it, Clark, put the dog up. So Clark's like, oh, okay. <laughs> and he brings the dog with him back to where, because that's his job. He's the dog keeper, sled dog keeper. Brings him back to the cage to let him in. And something weird is is going on. It's like now, the- now this is where I have I have a question. And <laughs> it didn't occur to me the first time through because I didn't know what was going on. But watching this now with the the hindsight of knowing what's going on, I don't know what the creature was trying to accomplish by thinging out in the dog cage. 
yeah, why become another dog? But you know that that's what's so weird to me is like he's he's obviously in contact maybe with one other human. We don't know who. But then when he's brought to the cage, when it's brought to the cage, he thinks out. So what's what's he going to do? Be another dog, or is it a sustenance thing? Like to, sort of like I'm going to regenerate because that is what's going to make me stronger. It's or it just the need to spread its material. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that's the only thing I could think of is maybe it's just really uncomfortable imitating something else, and it's just now it's alone with the dogs. It can I I, I don't know, but it was cool. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It's very cool. It is. We were talking about gross scenes, so. I would say the the first big gross scene, mm-hmm. really gross scene, jaw dropping. What the hell was that grotesque scene? And uh, <laughs> Clark puts the dog in there, and the other dogs are. I do like the camera work there, where the other dogs are are just sort of whimpering, like, and th- this other dog, half dog, half wolf, comes into the pen. And I even love the way it kind of sits down. And I don't know if there's that's any, you know, can't camera trickery or whatever, just the the weird stilted way it just kind of sits down in the middle of the pen. Mm-hmm. But then liquid uh tubes start coming out. Well, it's it's face splits <laughs> open. Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah, and then the tubes come out and then it starts spraying goo all over the dogs. And my first thought was, I guess the ASPCA wasn't involved in this. <laughs> no, it's uh well it it. It's definitely post uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. I don't think any animals were hurt in the fil- in the filming of this. But if you're a dog lover or an animal lover, this will upset. This whole whole scene will upset you. Be be forewarned. Um, because there's this noise, and then you see Mac, and he hears something strange, and also Clark knows something's going on too. And I like the fact that who says bring the flamethrower, but he just assumes Mac, bring the flamethrower. Mac flame. does. And that's that's another question. Do Arctic camps have flamethrowers <laughs> as standard <laughs> issue? <laughs> I don't know. Because they, they, they pulled out about three of them over the course of the, the movie. Oh, God. He's calling a child. Bring the flamethrower. And he also grabs the, the shotgun. They come around. Uh, Clark... Clark actually goes, he makes his way there first and he's knocked over by two dogs trying to escape mm. and he tries to kick. He sees that weird snaking tongue thing come out and he kicks the, the cage shut. And he, he basically sort of sounds the alarm. And I, I, I think that, well, he, he yells, but it's actually McCready that sounds the uh, fire alarm. Two of the dogs are, are basically being absorbed by this creature and I, I couldn't for the life of me figure out. There's one creature on the ground, but doesn't another creature just kind of go through the roof at one point? Well, it extends claws up to the ceiling. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of a continuity problem there because it it extends claws to the ceiling and then, oh no, you know what it does is it pulls itself up to the ceiling. Okay. And then they hit it with the flamethrower and then it drops down and then okay. it's just a mound with with the snaky dog head, right in the middle of the floor. And then they, and this is another, like, why they, they hit it with the flamethrower and then immediately put the fire out. 
one of the criticisms of, criticisms of this film was that it was just the 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 grotesqueness was excessive. Like this was too much, too much. And also, I do know that the Howard Hawks version is a beloved film. Carpenter loved that film. So there is this sense of how dare you, John Carpenter, do all this stuff. But Carpenter wanted to make a different film. He didn't want to make a man in a suit. He wanted something that was very true to the the novella, which is this this shape-shifting thing. It's a little bit weird and organic, and you can't quite figure out what it is as far as a, you know, is it humanoid? Is it, at some points, the thing looks to me almost like a plant. Mm -hmm. And other times it looks like a spider. Like an yeah. arachnoid, arachnoid or something. So. Well, that was, in the original film, it was a plant. It, it was yeah. It was a basically a big angry humanoid plant. <laughs> angry humanoid plant. One yeah. of the problems, and it problem is probably too strong a word, but they established that this thing is intelligent. It's a spacefaring, and yet it also acts acts very often like a mindless slavering animal. And so it, it, what we see Blair, what, what Blair was doing made a lot of sense. Yeah. And, you know, maybe all of the, 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 the thinging out was supposed to be a distraction while another part of it built a new, a ship to get out. But I yes. didn't see a lot of intelligence coming from the thing, except until they found, and I'm jumping way ahead, but no, jump they, way ahead. You know, until yeah. they find the spaceship that Blair is making. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, Blair. The, the very next thing that happens is Blair starts to do an autopsy on this. What was their dogs? Mm -hmm. it, there we get the curmudgeonly Wolford Brimley face. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. God. And he's almost, I can't tell if Wilford Brimley's going to cry or need some bowl of oatmeal but he's really really upset um appalled i think sickened by what he's seeing it sort of fades out and transitions to blair talking about what it is he goes what this is this isn't a dog it's a good imitation of it it's trying to imitate the dog and imitate it perfectly but it's not a dog we just happened to catch it before it could that's not a dog it's imitation Etc. 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 Yeah, the dialogue and, doesn't always match what happened. The purpose of the movie isn't to be a science documentary on what a, an alien life form could possibly be like. So, I, I, I give it a lot of leeway in that area. If Sam were here, she would say, "This is you know, this is Blair playing the the resident expert. He's explaining what's going on mm -hmm. to the rest of the guys in the camp." McCree all of a sudden sort of is changing his tune. He's now more invested in going back and, you know, finding out to, like, where were these, these Swedes? Where were these Swedes? Where were these Norwegians <laughs> researching? And they find the place on the map, I guess, based on, I guess one of them reads Norwegian or uh, to figure. <laughs> yeah. Coordinates are, are, you know, the, the numbers would be translatable. That is true there. And they are watching some of the old footage now i think i read somewhere where this footage that is used in the film is actually footage from the hawks original Could where be. they're where they where they straight you know they they have the flags and they stretch out their arms 
Uh, and that was his little nod. And and um, Carpenter also has the thing playing in the background in Halloween. That was like his little homage mm-hmm. to a much beloved film when he was making Halloween. Mac is like, we're going to go check this out. So he's got he takes uh, who else does he take with him? He took uh, Norris was with him. And I don't think it was Bennings. I think mm. it was Fuchs. So Norris and Fuchs, I think, go with him to these coordinates. Lo and behold, they find a spaceship. A spaceship. <laughs> a big ass spaceship. Uh I I would uh I would call uh the Air Force right away or something, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now you know something just clicked when you said that the footage was from was was from the original movie. That makes sense because I remember thinking that the explosion that they showed in the footage looked was so subpar to all the other explosion effects <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. But if that was the footage from the original, that makes sense now. Well, they're they're looking at the old the VCR tape. Like, what were those Norgis? Norgis? Mm-hmm. What are those Norgis doing? And supposedly that's that's what they're seeing. And Mac asks Norris, he's like, how how long do you think this has been here? And then there's the mention of the backscatter effect. Guys, I, I don't no know idea what, the, what that is. <laughs> no idea what that is other than Norris says it's been bringing up stuff for hundreds of thousands of years. And they, they guesstimate it could be as old. What they're looking at has probably been in the ice for almost 100,000 years. So that goes to the a long time ago in the galaxy far, far away. Mm-hmm. You know, Just kind of letting the audience know these creatures have been around for hundreds of thousands of years yeah longer possibly and it can hibernate in the ice they also find something that correlates with the big rectangle deep rectangle kind of carved out in the ice it correlates with what they found inside the norg camp mm-hmm. and there's their answer like okay this thing got Maybe got out of the ship, and yeah, you know, they didn't go in the ship, which no, I find which I thought was odd. Well, I'd be kind of scared. <laughs> True, after, <laughs> after seeing get... the two things that they've seen already, going, you know, nah, I'm not going in there. You go in there. I'm not going. In there. <laughs> <laughs> no, you go in there. <laughs> All of these details are relayed by Mac once he gets back to the camp and says, "This is what we found." It's almost like uh, Charles is like, would you expect us to believe this? And he's like, yeah, that's that's what I'm trying to get you get you to understand. These these this creature is not like us. The computer was impressive for 1980. (laughs) (laughs) Although it reminded me of a very old video game called Vampire something or Hmm. Vampire Infection. I don't know. Blair runs a computer simulation and it's something like in two. Was it? How many hours? 27,000 hours. In 27,000 hours, the entire world's population would be basically decimated and become the thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is a problem. (laughs) Nalls is like, somebody left their dirty lawn johns in the kitchen. That's disgusting. Don't do that. Mac is looking at these dirty lawn johns. They resolve, they're going to move the remains, the bodies, everything into the storage room. And Mac has to move his gear. 
which is a sleeping bag and a backpack in a room full of other stuff. (laughs) And he's got his own shack, so I don't know why he has gear in there. (laughs) Then Fuchs comes up to Mac and he's need to talk in private outside along away from all these other people. (laughs) (laughs) And when they're outside, I like the the little quick cut to the camera that these dead things, uh, things are moving off of these Mm -hmm. dead creatures. And Fuchs tells Mac that uh, Blair has locked himself away and the details that he found in Blair's notebook, that the dead material, what they think is dead, those cells still show life. Even though they appear dead, there's still some sort of animated activity in these cells that we would normally consider dead. Oh, that was... Was that after somebody looked at the thing, put the blanket back down, and then we see the blanket move? Yeah, yeah, that's after that. It kind of of cuts the conversation between Mac and Mac and Fuchs. I don't know what's going on with Blair, but he's locked himself away. And I found his notebooks, and it's saying that, hey, those dead things in there, they're not really dead. This is a problem. Yeah. (laughs) As uh, windows, poor windows. And Bennings are are settling things in the storage that they're going to lock up, right? Because now they don't know what they're dealing with. So their best hope is try to bring basically reinforcements, isolate this thing until they get reinforcements and help. Windows turns around and lo and behold, Bennings is is being (laughs) consumed, absorbed by uh stuff stuff yeah. <laughs> lots yeah. of tubes yeah. Botine was really into tubes being wrapped around people's bodies and st- things stuffed into their mouth yeah Just I, kinda... I have to say that the the Bennings uh puppet really the the, the mannequin or whatever it didn't look very convincing it, it's disturbing though to see this this thing wrapped around Bennings body you know, Windows is screaming, so they they try to run in there, but Bennings Bennings runs runs out like he he's out in the snow. Yeah, and they're like, no, no, it's Bennings, and it's like, it's not Bennings. And we just see that that weird. Uh, it's kind of the only thing I don't like about this movie. This one scene, the remake of what is the name of the movie? The Body Snatchers. Oh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Invasion, the remake with uh, Donald Sutherland, Invasion mm-hmm. of the Body Snatchers, and Jeff Goldblum, and there's that telltale where they turn their face to the camera and they kind of like this weird scream Mm -hmm. face. And that's what Benning does. Benning's does to the camera. And then you just sort of see this, (laughs) this weird ass claw hand Mm -hmm. coming up. That's not Benning's. (laughs) (laughs) So Mac turns, turns over some kerosene or something and lights Benning's on fire. Benning's is done away with, Uh, but they can't find Blair they decide that they're going to burn the remains. Gary, who's the commander, is in shock. They don't know what to do. They realize now that things are being sabotaged, like like their chopper. And then they hear uh, gunshots go off. I would say Wilford Brimley's Oscar moment. Good job <laughs> of, of being unhinged. Yeah, yeah. And he's just, he's just screaming. and going, doesn't want to be a dog. It wants to be us. Uh, well, he's chopping up the the communications equipment. Yes, he's he's 
mutilated the chopper. He's mutilated the snow cat. Uh, mutilated the radio. Poor Windows is cowering because the, you know Blair's just gone nuts and he's shooting the, the gun. And but finally, between Charles and McCready, they kind of take control of him and they isolate him up in uh, one of the storage shacks or something. And they lock him up there in the in the tool shed and sedate him. One of the last things Blair tells tells Mac is watch Clark. Blair has pieced together that Clark was alone with the dogs plenty when that dog first got there. Now, do you think that at this point Blair knows that he's infected and it's the alien trying to sow dissension? Or do you think I don't, he's still Blair at this point? I don't know. And that seems to be, you know, this is a good place to sort of break off into, because I'm trying to think if we have any other big, well, we do. We have the one, two, we have really two big monstrous scenes yeah. coming up. Well, there's the, then, the, but, the most famous one. Yeah, the most famous one. But I think this is where we can sort of just, you know, segue and talk about just what is happening now. Uh, to the psychology of all of these these men yeah. in this research camp, research camp is that they just don't trust each other because now they're realizing that any of them can be the thing. Mm -hmm. Well, and they're they're totally isolated. Their their radios are are destroyed. Their transportation's destroyed, and a snowstorm has come in that uh so that that will blow for days. So they're they they can't. They can't even try to walk out of the camp. I think they even mentioned at the very, very beginning of the film that like the the time for seasonable weather and in the Antarctic in Antarctica is kind of like ending mm -hmm. and they're going to get nothing but really, really bad weather for the next you know few months. Yeah. So so nothing good is going to happen meteorologically mm -hmm. <laughs> and they're stuck with this thing. We see that Blair has gone off the deep end, but we don't know. There's that whole, you know, is he the alien? Is he aware? There is a moment when they're doing the blood test because they want they want to test the blood. Mm -hmm. Can they do a serum test? Then they find out, you know, who's got the keys? Who had access to the, all the blood that they were going to use for the serum test? The blood's been destroyed. So then there's that accusation. You took the keys. You took the keys. Windows freaks out. He's running down the hallway. He's going to go grab a gun and... They're they're kind of at each other's throats. Real everything deteriorates real quick. Yeah, real quick. And that's one of the strengths of this movie, and I think maybe one of the reasons it's a classic. You know, the the monster scenes are incredible and powerful and and very visceral, literally. Um, but the the study of the disintegration of these people is just as important. Again, I'm looking at this through the lens of we're in, you know, 2023 now. Yeah. And my I know that my attention span has shortened appreciably. The film takes its time a little too much. I think it might have been might could if it had been made today, it probably would have been, you know, maybe 20 minutes shorter, now, maybe maybe 10. And, and that and that might have that might not necessarily be a good thing. But he really Carpenter really ramps up the paranoia. Yeah, he does. But, and, it, and it never feels false. It's like no, Windows was twitchy from the get-go. <laughs> Windows is twitchy from the get-go. Um, he, he's so him the, he's out. Lambert. 
He is yeah. Lambert in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. they're constantly, I don't understand why they're constantly yelling at Windows. Windows is like, I can't get th- through to anybody. From the very beginning, they're like, get get so-and-so on the horn. He's like, I can't. Nobody's answering. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad for Windows. He's the character I for- probably feel the worst for. Poor Windows. And he he yeah. does not go out well. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. It's really bad. He's I also know. the one who's yeah. like, we got to stay with, you know, he he's like, he's like Lambert and, and, uh, uh, Hicks. No, Hudson, Hudson. Yeah. Cause windows is the one who's like, you know, this is going to go bad. This is, this is, we got to get away. And, and everyone's <laughs> like, I'll just chill out. And then of course, you know, he gets his head chomped and then gets set on fire. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty bad. I like that. There seems to be this, uh, dynamic between, I, they exploit Carpenter exploits dynamics that would happen in a group mm-hmm. normally. Uh, apparently, Palmer does not like Windows. They're Palmer is constantly digging at Windows. Yeah, you know, I don't want to go with Windows. I want to go with you, Mac, and you know that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Matt McCready and Childs have a thing. Yeah, they knock heads. You know, they're both kind of alpha dog guys. Yeah. And they don't trust each other. And there's a, there's also, you could say there's also a racial element there too. You know, when there's a, there's a point where they, they don't know if McCready is McCready. McCready finds his way back in, mm-hmm. even though they want to lock him out. Knowles. Is was very scared when he's with McCready, thinking he's not McCready. So Nalls does, you know, just he's just trying to survive this situation. But I like that. I like the Carpenter. You know, when you first see this movie, you're like, well, of course, Russell's the leading man, (laughs) so he's going to be in charge and he's going to save the day. But I, I think there's there's something intentional there in that. What makes Mac think that he's he should be the leader. Yeah. I know I'm human. He said, he's like, I know I'm human. Well, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and it's pretty arrogant of you. And and it just, some of this stuff really points to just the bad side of human nature, <laughs> you yeah. know, and certain personal personality types, you know, the, automatically I, I should be the leader. You should trust me. I'm a human because I say so. And Childs is like, who are you? Uh, and I, I like that there's there's certain elements about this these these dynamics that Carpenter's got out there, and we yeah. we get to take a look at it. And I thought it was pretty interesting. I missed it and missed it and missed it, Rick. But when when he makes that recording, did you pick that up? About uh, he's just kind of like doing a log mm-hmm. about so what is happening. Hide the hide the tape in case nobody makes it out. But did you catch what he does? Well, he erased. He said yeah. something, and then he backed up over it. He goes, "Nobody trusts anybody now." Oh, that's, that's like right. the last yeah. thing he says. And then he he erases it and just goes, uh, "And McCready, or helicopter pilot, blah blah blah." He just erases it and says, "We're all very tired. We're going to do this." And pilot McCready, helicopter pilot McCready, signing out. So he doesn't. Yeah, I love that Carpenter has that in there. So it's like the self conscious. I don't want to portray myself or us in a poor light. Yeah. So I'm going to erase that part. I love that. I thought that was great. 
the fact that we're at each other's throats. I don't want mm-hmm. that to get out. Yeah. <laughs> the next big grotesque scene, they've they've come up with an idea for testing the blood. Fuchs disappears. That's really the only other thing yeah. that happens. But and the the one thing about Fuchs disappearance, Rick, is I'm not sure that he actually disappeared. <laughs> that maybe Maybe if you well, it they did say that the the flare was there. It's Fuchs remains. It's all burned up. And you're saying that Blair is Blair is the creature. I do think there's some loose ends there that don't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, for for a movie that is very in your face with all the corpses, that one was kind of like I thought it was a pile of clothes, and I was like, oh, I guess maybe there's like a skull (laughs) Mm. they're supposed to barricade themselves in and that's when mac and there's a good scene there between uh mac and and uh nall mccready makes his way back and they're gonna they're gonna figure out this blood test so they're gonna bloodlet everybody what do they call blood brother style Mm -hmm. cut cut their thumbs with a scalpel put it in a petri dish and take a a hot wire i don't know why you know, script wise or story wise well, carpenter he says that he reasons that the blood that the blood would be as as much a part of the the thing as any other part of it so yeah. if, if it's attacked it would retreat small parts of it act as a whole yeah and in unison they go down into the cellar norris norris, norris. Yeah. yeah he he goes down and they're like he's not breathing and so they bring yeah. him up and they're doing cpr on him this scene totally Took me. I do remember the first time I saw it. That had no idea it was coming. None, none whatsoever. Because they did a brilliant edit between just him on the table and then the the, the prosthetic body. Yeah. And in the in the doco, it's ta- he's he's talking about he was on that table for like twelve hours that he <laughs> just trying to get all the shots and stuff. Yeah. Explain explain like how they actually. It's it's hard to kind of explain how they did the effect. So what they did was. Everything from the actor's neck down was prosthetic. He was, his head was sticking up through a table and he was laying on sort of a slanted board. It's the same way they did, they did uh, the chestburster in Alien. Yes. Yes, you're right. I had read that. The actor has his head up through the table and then the body is all, is all fake and it's got these jaws in it. That and the, and it's got the rubber skin, and so when the doctor goes to hit him with the 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 uh, defibrillator paddles, the chest opens up with these big teeth, <laughs> and then he his he you know because he's pushing down, he pushes his hands right into the cavity, and then they bite his arms off. Apparently, this was supposed to be like a you've got one take to get this right, and uh, the, the the guy who did the the effects i forget you said his name a couple of times rob botine yeah rob yeah. botine said this this whole film was a series of you have one take to get this right yeah and it didn't work uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so then they had to take another like four or five hours to, to try to reset it and the poor actor is just laying there yeah uh but they got it and and what i i didn't know until i watched this documentary the one of the most brilliant things they did was they brought in an actor who was a double amputee. He he did not have arms below the elbows. And so when the doctor got his arms bitten off, they made a latex mask of the of the actor that played the doctor and put it on this guy and then put, you know, about 
two or three inches of fake arm with blood shooting out of it. Yes. So it wasn't, you know, nowadays they just put a green, you know, put green gloves on the guy and do it with CG, but they didn't have that option in 1982. No. So it, it, it was really brilliant. And they, they folk, you know, the, the edit was fast enough was it was slow enough that you could see what was going on, but not fast enough or not slow enough that you could catch that he was wearing a, a mask of another that face. it wasn't the the actual actor yeah. yeah that it was a stand-in that that was a w double amputee and then of the, course uh, flamethrower everything's burning up i love how how many things <laughs> they burn with flame floors flamethrowers indoors and yet the <laughs> the buildings never go up and then we get the infamous the the head pushing itself off of the body and dropping to the floor and then sprouting spider legs <laughs> <laughs> two eyes the, the uh, sound effects are are great in oh this yeah film. yeah the foley just, on this is fantastic the foley is yeah the foley is really it's, good. it's like cream Ooh, it's, it's just it's wet and it's like <laughs> snapping crab claws it, there's something wet and viscous about yeah but, yes Ugh. yeah and and then they're 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 all watching the pie you know the, the the pyre and then they hear a scrabbling behind them and they turn around and windows is like you've got to be fucking kidding me yeah. <laughs> yeah the camera the frame is on on kurt russell at first and he's facing the completely different direction and then mm -hmm. you see the the head spider thing kind of skitter off and it's very disturbing i remember the first time i saw this i went whoa what <laughs> and and then to think that really just a few seconds later you get the this next scene that is just uh where they where they're testing the blood that yeah ju just mind blowing like it, 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 we're not going to stop there <laughs> yeah. you, know? you think this um, is the best part <laughs> no this is this is something else i i don't think the scene at the end, we, we can talk to, about that briefly, but I don't think the special effects scene at the end is quite as good as these two sequences with the no. uh, spider head and with the blood blood testing. Mm -hmm. There's something about this whole sequence that just like, oh my God, where it it's almost feels relentless. Like, yeah, they're not going to stop. They're just going to keep going with this nightmare unsettling parts of the bloodletting the blood testing scene when the when they finally find out which one of them is the thing and it things out and it's on the same couch with the other two guys who are tied <laughs> next to it and it's freaking out and its head is splitting and stuff and they're screaming get us off it because they're tied down they can't get away uh and then of course it sprouts a giant bear trap mouth and picks up poor, poor windows win by the head poor windows windows terrified he's helping mac like try to collect blood samples and you see this man shaking when he finally tries to burn the blood and it's not him he just you you feel the like relief just washes over him like i'm not the thing you pointed that out like does blair know he's the thing and this is just because those conversations are really weird when they when mac goes back and they check in on blair like have you seen fuchs I just want to let, you know, he's sitting there eating his can of beans. <laughs> just want out of here. He's also yeah. a noose in his, in his shack. So. But uh, poor Windows, he's so relieved. And then the thing things out. And what happens is a nightmare parade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God. Very grotesque. Some of our heroes survive it. <laughs> yeah. 
to the point where the only people we have left really are Mac, Childs, Nalls, and Gary. And Blair. And Blair, of course. But we don't know. Yeah. They, I think they go to, to find Blair and Blair is gone. Well, yeah, they, they decide we've got to go give Blair the test. And they go in there and he's gone and they find he's gone through the floor and excavated out a, a, a cavity underneath the shack and is building a spaceship. I kind of thought that maybe Blair was contaminated, but like someone got to Fuchs, the mm-hmm. creature got to Fuchs and that Fuchs got to maybe became Blair because we don't know to what extent the thing can become other people. Yeah. Like could Fuchs, could the thing become Fuchs and then Fuchs become Blair? But the spaceship it's, thing was a nice touch. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, the thing's ability to morph is kind of vague. I mean, it mm. definitely can, but the procedure, it's its not like he's Odo. It's not like he just suddenly no, becomes. Yeah. <laughs> no. Whatever he wants to be. Yeah. yeah. They, they track Blair to the generator room because <laughs> he's already de- he's destroyed the generator. Yeah. And they split up. And Blair gets Gary in a really gross sticking his fingers <laughs> through his face way. What, what did you make of that? I was, like, I was just like, okay. There's something sexual about it. I thought, well, like, you know I'm what? Gonna, I'm going to finger all, your, fa- your it, face. There's a lot of parallels in this movie to Alien. And yeah. it kind of reminded me of when Ash tries to kill Ripley with the magazine. Yes. In that it really yes. didn't make a whole lot of sense but you're just supposed to think that Ash is unhinged at this point. And there is that one cut where uh, after he's hand faced uh, Gary, mm-hmm. that all you see are Blair's feet and he's sort of dragging hand melded with face. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's, he's absorbing Gary. He's, he's absorbing the <sighs> biomass. Yeah. It's just, it was just an odd choice to stick his fingers through his face, but. I, I guess when you're making a horror film, that's the kind of stuff that sets it apart from just, you know, karate chop. <laughs> it's very sexy. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and then we get, you know, they're, they're starting to, and, and this is, this was another scene that reminded me of alien. Cause Kurt Russell's like, you go do this, you go do that. Everybody splits up so they can be picked off one by one. Uh... And we know from scary movie bingo, you don't split up. No. You just don't. It's never a good idea. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and then we get, then we get, you know, the, the, the thing starts knocking Kurt Russell around and steals the dynamite yeah. and comes up through the floor and we get that really cool effect of the, of it coming through the, yeah. knocking up the floorboards. Uh, and then, but then it turns into a stop motion giant tentacle thing. And that's where it lost you. It, I it didn't lose me. It was just kind of like, Oh, really? eh, not as good as your other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but then they switch back to the practical, you know, flesh pillar with half of Blair's face sticking out. And then the dog comes out of yeah. one side and, you know, we're kind of getting that, that almost Lovecraftian, all of the faces of all of the, it, the people it's assimilated. Lovecraftian is a perfect way to describe this. This is the most Lovecraftian in terms of the vision of horror. I think mm-hmm. I find this film and some of the things that Rob Bottin create created worse than geiger <laughs> for yeah. alien just there's a certain beauty to what geiger created well and and that, that was, sounds that was geiger's aesthetic was yeah was biomechanics and clean lines and 
and almost frighteningly symmetrical. Whereas this is just flesh. <laughs> extremely <laughs> grotesque and you don't know what it is. Is it part plant? Is it an insect? Is it... Well, well that's like in the first... <laughs> yeah, the first part with the dogs, it extended that kind of mouth thing that looked like mm. a plant. And then, of course, they blow up the whole camp. They do blow up the whole camp. The reason why they start, they plant this dynamite. McCready's like, he's he's going to go into the deep freeze until a rescue team comes. And then he'll thaw out. And then it's, it's doomsday for Earth. Mm-hmm. We're not making it out of here. But this is what we can do. We're just going to burn it down to the ground by blowing it, blowing shit up. The whole camp is on fire. Because the, I think the last thing McGreedy decides to do is fuck you, <laughs> and you know <laughs> throws dynamite and God knows what else, um, blows up the ship, and the last thing you see is that scene between he and and Childs, and it's a great scene. Mm-hmm. If you're worried about me, and, <laughs> and I love the answer, like look, uh, we got plenty of time to figure out who's who. Here. <laughs> I'm not worried about anything. There's a line that I love, Charles, it's warm all over camp, temperature's up all over camp, but it's not going to last long. And they get out. And and Kurt Russell's response is, maybe we shouldn't. Mm. <laughs> I thought that was really a telling line. Well, and then, then his last line, why don't we just sit here and see what happens? They're yeah. Passing the yeah. bottle of, of scotch back and forth. J&B back and forth. Is that, is that whiskey or scotch? That's that's a Scotch whiskey blend, yeah. JB, which he famously pours a his glass of it into the the chess computer. Yeah. Um, at the very beginning of the film, mm-hmm. I love that ending. How I did too. There, there's he didn't have, we didn't have to see them die. No, it, but they but they were you know they it was heroic in its own weird way. It was heroic. But I think he's also saying, uh, look, he's holding the mirror up to some of like not our better angels mm-hmm. when um, and in that in that documentary, it is a swear of the fact that there were no women cast. Yes. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't want to spell out why. Yeah. <laughs> why he wanted it to be an all male cast. Because I think he's trying to show us some things. And I just admire. Um, really do. Yeah, I, I when he said that because it never I think it it had occurred to me at some point that these are all dudes, but I was just like, well, maybe back then, you know, uh, an expedition like this would all be one gender. Yeah. Um. Well, probably. But that, but that would also having women in the cast would have changed some of the dynamics. Now the original has women. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's strictly a survival like hey, and it it is post World War you know. What year did that come out? Uh, the film fifty something, I think. Yeah, so it is very like American way, post World War Two. You know, it's about the communism and like the West versus goodness, greatness. Stick together. We're gonna get through this, and it's not all. I think the original is not all just American. It's sort of a mix, a mix of these different yeah. researchers that are in this outpost. It just so happens that the hero of the moment uh, is sort of this American commander 
but I think also there are maybe some Canadian scientists or something that kind of pitch in and, and like it is that that very like, hey, we can do this together. The West is great. Mm-hmm. I do get that feeling from that film. Yeah. Um, this film is just completely the opposite. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just thinking if if there had been women in, in the cast, um, one there might have been a temptation for some exploitation, which would have been real out of place for this movie. I think so too. Yeah. But also I think there would have had to have been at least some level of, especially given when this was made, um, somebody wanting to protect the ladies. Yeah. And you, you get that in, you get a little bit of that in Hawks, but then there's also, I, I like that there are parts of that film where they, they have some like, they're, they have some agency and they're, they're part of the team you see this sort of like part of the team. You're going to help yeah. us do this. And um, spine of the thing is the, how quickly it devolves into I'm watching out for me and fuck all y'all. I, that's what I love about this film. Yeah. That's the scariest part of this film is how much they just, and how quickly things just disintegrate. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, Carpenter is, he's not apologizing for not <laughs> No, for, no. You know, like, no, I needed to make this movie. And this is, you know, and this is why I needed to make But he, I love that he didn't even get into the why. Like, he just said, this is, this is the movie I had to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, great. Great film. Um, it does. Because a lot of times when you go back and watch a movie that you loved in your youth, uh, like I'm reading, I'm reading a book right now called The Stainless Steel Rat, which was a book I loved when I was a teenager, and I'm I'm reading it right now, and I'm finding it's not as good as I remembered it being, um, and that happens with movies and TV shows a lot too. This really holds up. This is kind of timeless, you know. There's there's a even the equipment kind of it's <laughs> it's like old you know it's like yes. they, they don't have the best stuff so it it's vintage even given when it was made i uh i said that to uh sam about the when we were watching what was it uh like if mm-hmm. the thing looks like the computer if it if it looks like it can do what it's supposed to do as far as the narrative goes mm-hmm. then i'm in yeah and and uh the simulation works for me the com- well the computer chess, even the VCR, the the oh, videotapes, those, those old fifteen hundred dollar VCRs. <laughs> you know, you want to know something? I don't think you could stream if you were down in Antarctica. I'm pretty no. sure you'd have to be watching discs or v- yeah, video videotapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't. I think they get like a, a satellite goes overhead like once every <laughs> few weeks or something like that. Uh, Antarctic researchers, if you know the answer, <laughs> give us. No, they probably have downloaded a ton of content that they yeah. can, you know, watch. Um, I I love both versions. And if you want to watch the original, it's definitely worth watching. And there's some really good scares. And uh, like you had said, Rick, it's like you don't see the monster, but it just gives you a little taste. Yeah. They're, both films... I, I love the fact that Carpenter in some places definitely is doing an homage to the original because we have the fire suit walker in the original. We have a fire suit walker scene and probably one of the most dangerous stunts you can do. Yep. Uh, And he, we have one in, in his version. 
I haven't watched the third version to see if they even have a fire suit walker, but I just, I love both films and I was genuinely satisfied. I like, for me, that's the sign of a good film. Do I feel satisfied after watching it? Yeah. And I, I definitely felt satisfied to get my creep on for both. (laughs) (laughs) I was uneasy after it and I had to go and I was at work. So I had to go and go up into the rafters and turn off lights (laughs) and stuff. And Probably wasn't the best choice to, to watch it. <laughs> Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Um, do you want to add just from your own experience uh, with stagecraft and, and lighting that um, that you can sort of like some things that you observed while you were watching this film that you wanted to share? Nothing. I mean, nothing bad. Uh, a lot of times, because movie special effects have always been a fascination of mine. Uh, especially in the pre-CG days. Uh, mm. I, you know, I used to have tons of making of books. I still do packed away somewhere. Um, and, you know, Industrial Light and Magic has always, they've always been like my heroes and stuff. And so knowing how things were done always fascinated me. Uh, yeah. Finding out that Botine almost killed himself with these, with the the effects for this movie. He literally ended up in the hospital from exhaustion when he, when the film was done. Yeah. Exhaustion and pneumonia. I read. Yeah. Like he both. Yeah. Both like um, physically broke his body broke down. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, they were on such tight deadlines and, and you know, he was doing stuff that had never been done before. And you've done production, you know, as far as stage, the, the schedule is insane, right? Oh yeah. When you're, yeah. when you're doing sets and, and effects and lights and, and you're running a technic technical rehearsals too. Mm-hmm. I don't think people, you know, some of the people that listen don't understand, like, may not understand. I think maybe some people do, but just how grueling that can be. Oh, yeah. And and in a, a film situation with a lot of, you know, with a lot of what all these people are going through. Overtime does not happen. <laughs> you don't get yeah. a shot by yeah. five o'clock. The crew walks. And so there, you know, it's one of the things that James Cameron always has trouble with, uh, especially when he was shooting in England for aliens was at the, you know, tea time at three and the whole mm. thing would stop and it would drive him crazy. Yeah. Um, so Boutine, Boutine, right? Yeah. It, I, Rob Boutine. Yeah. Boutine. Yeah. He doesn't uh, say, but he... and it shows everybody knows about the arms getting bitten off. Everybody knows about the crab head. Uh, everybody knows about the dog. And this stuff wouldn't stay in the public zeitgeist. There's another fun word. Uh, <laughs> as long as it has, if it didn't hold up, because there were there were there's plenty of old horror movies that when you watch it now and you're like, oh my god, like uh, Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead, great movie, lots of fun. The final scene looks like it was done stop motion with play doh, because <laughs> mm-hmm. they had a like I think their budget was like fifteen bucks or something. Right. Um, yeah. This was technically a low budget film, but they made every penny of it count. And knowing how they did the stuff didn't in any way detract from enjoying watching it done because it's like knowing how a black belt does all of their moves, but still being wrapped by how perfectly they do them. Oh, absolutely. And it doesn't like it doesn't suck for me when I when I watch it. Having listened to the documentary, I'm like, it doesn't really solve the mystery to me how that looks so damn cool. 
It just doesn't. And I know that they try different things like speeding up the, the camera speed, slowing down, like running, running things backwards. But they're never going to spill all their the magical tricks. And I kind of don't want them to, yeah. <laughs> you know, they're visually some scenes in this movie just are so good. I don't want to know. Don't tell and me the, your mystery. And there's other scenes and not necessarily the special effects scenes, but there's like, the you know, they'll be walking through a hallway and there's just firelight flickering on the mm. wall yeah. because they have been burning shit up left and right and stuff would be on fire. <laughs> That's funny. You said that. Cause there, there is this one scene where I'm, there's something burning outside, you know, there's something burning right inside the, the, I think it's the medical lab or whatever, where they're at Uh, great film. Rick, thank you so much for coming on and recording with me. Thank I know Sam appreciates me. it. I know I do. Folks, uh, as we say, Sam and I say, be good to yourself, be kind to one another, watch something different, read something new, and we will see you later. Rick, thank you so much. Thank you. Want to say goodnight to the sweet people? Good night, sweet people. Have uh, Watch this movie during the day <laughs> with the lights on. <laughs> or and, not. And, and maybe don't, you know, don't don't eye your dog too suspicious. When I came home and the dog was like, hi, daddy. I'm like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the doc. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can contact us at uh, celluloidpudding at gmail.com or just look up celluloid pudding on Instagram. We'll pop right up there. Uh, Rick, thanks again. Guys, have a wonderful and happy Halloween. Ooh, scary. Stuff.